Oh man, it is so good to see all of you here in the middle of Christmas. You are, man, that's so great. And if you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. I'm David, I'm the pastor. Uh, we just appreciate you being here. If you're online, you join us as a guest. We're so thankful. We're thankful all of you online watching. Uh, it's Christmas. We love Christmas. We just want to celebrate, you know, and, and Christmas is that time, and we're not, listen, whatever's going on, we're still celebrating Jesus, right? We're going to do that. Uh, Joe was telling you about it. You know, every Sunday, you know, we just keep worshiping. Next Sunday, it is going to be cool. Uh, when he says that Brian is a gift, he means spiritually. He doesn't mean an actual gift. Brian's uh, pretty cheap. I just want to share that with you. He's uh, tighter than a rusted luck nut, that guy. He's still... He, last year, he re-gifted me a calendar from the year before. He's a little, little tight. So, but it's, it's a spiritual gift. It's a song. That's what it is. That's the gift. That His wife's smiling going, yeah, I know that for sure. So we're going to celebrate. And then tonight, we're celebrating, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the musical, the expression. And, you, know, you may not realize, if you come to this service in the next, but we actually do have a choir at our church. It doesn't ever, you don't ever hear it at 945 or 11. But, uh, and, and so they're coming tonight, and it's going to be cool, 430 or 6. You just come on. And then... Christmas Eve, and we just sing, and we praise, and we sing these great songs. I love Christmas, and I love the songs. I can't sing. I'm a horrible singer. I'm the worst singer ever, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy all that. We all have our favorite Christmas songs, and this is the cool thing about Christmas, and the Christmas songs, we're just, we're singing about Jesus. We're praising Jesus. Hallelujah. We just sing that. That's fantastic. Now, we need that, and especially this year. This year, we need Christmas. It's kind of like that, that, that song you hear on the radio. I, I have satellite radio, and I have to the Christmas things. So I hear every song. You can imagine a white. Every artist thinks they need to sing the same song. It's beyond me. You hear white Christmas a thousand different ways. Everybody, for some reason, you know, thinks, why don't, well, I don't know why the song Santa Baby has anything to do with Christmas, you know? It just makes no sense. But they sing that, and we sing all these songs, and we have our favorite, and it's fantastic. In the songs, we praise, and we, and, and we need a little Christmas. That's one of the songs. We need a little Christmas. We do, because Christmas is about Jesus. And, and we're, at, we're in a series, because 2020 has been just this crazy year. And, and, and I've said, and this is the year that seems lost. I mean, 2020 is the year that seems lost. It kind of does that. And so we need the Christmas to kind of get us back into perspective. And it's important to remember that if we think this year seems lost, when Jesus came, every year seemed lost, because every year was lost. I shared with you last week, Jesus just came into the world at a time and a place when it was oppressive, it was dark, sin reigned. I mean, he came and he brought something new. Last week I shared he brought a new hope. Next week I'm going to share he brings a new joy. And today I'm going to share with you from the book of Luke, the first chapter, that Jesus came, he brought a new song. And his mama, Mary, sang that song. Here's how it goes. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is to generation after generation towards those who fear him. And he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. And he has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today. When we encounter Jesus, we are compelled. We are compelled. We are compelled to praise God. When you encounter Jesus... When you come into the presence of Jesus, when you think about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, we are compelled to praise God. And so I'm going to begin 
today talking a little bit about Mary uh, because there was something about Mary. I mean, there really was. She was a special woman. And, and, and I know sometimes, you know, and, and I'm Baptist. That's who I am. And, and we, in Baptist, we have this tendency because our Catholic friends, you know, really exalt Mary. We want to go to the other extreme. And so we, we neglect the importance of Mary. She is not the queen of heaven. She is not the mother of God. But neither is she just anybody that could have done this. I mean, there's something special about her. It wasn't that she deserved to be chosen by God. It was purely an act of God's grace. But she was a special person. And you see the specialness of her story. Her story actually begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, when the angel comes to her and he just says, Hey, Mary, you're, you're going to have a child, and this child's going to be the Savior. And she says, I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm a virgin. He says, Well, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that child will be holy. He'll be God in the flesh, basically. No, and so we have in Luke, as we do in Matthew, the two occurrences of the virgin conception. We call it the virgin birth, but it's really the virgin conception of Jesus. This is an important part of the Christian faith. Now, normally at Christmas time, I'll probably preach a whole message or a good part of a message about the virgin birth. I'm not this year. I just simply want to say this, and and, and kind of don't want to neglect it. There are some who neglect the virgin birth of Jesus. Some who even say it's not important. I've heard people say it didn't even have to happen that way. Let me just share with you the virgin conception, the virgin birth of Jesus, because it is Jesus who is fully God and fully man, guarantees to us the very character and nature of God as being God in the flesh. It is that virgin conception and birth that secures, that guarantees, that helps us to know without any doubt, Jesus is both God and man. And here's the thing. I've heard, I even heard a few Baptist preachers say, well, God could have done it some other way. It is the height of an arrogant, sinful heart to say that God could have done this some other way. Because here's what I know about God. God always does exactly what he plans to do his way. For me to say God can do it some other way is for me to take the place of God. Listen, this is the way God did it. And I believe that with all my heart. Here's the thing. To deny the virgin conception and birth of Jesus is to deny his very nature and character. It is to deny faith. It's just that simple. If you deny what Scripture so clearly teaches, that Jesus was God in the flesh, born and conceived of a virgin, you are denying the character and nature of Jesus. You are denying his very nature. And so we come to the story of Mary. Mary heard this. She went to see her cousin Elizabeth, who also was pregnant. And while it was a miracle, it wasn't, it wasn't the same kind of miracle as Mary's, but it's still, she was going to have a child past age. And, and, and Mary comes, and there she's going to have her song. And, you know, the song of Mary. And so it's, it's, you know, there's a very popular and famous song. It's a very moving song called Mary Did You Know. You've probably heard it. It comes on the radio. I, for all I know, it's going to get sung sometime in our church. That's good. I've got no problem with it. But I came across a meme the other day. If you don't, yeah, okay, the other service didn't know what a meme was. You don't know what a meme is. Okay, that's your cool. And so, um, and I couldn't quite find it, but I found something similar. I thought it was pretty cool. And, and here's what it is. There it, was, there it is. The guy singing, Mary, did you know, all dressed up. And she says, yes, I think I made that clear on the Magnificat. Yeah. Also, it's not even Advent yet. You need to take a chill pill. So, you know, I thought it's funny. Mary, did you know? Yeah, I knew I was there when the angel told me. (laughs) So the song of Mary, and and they look at the song of Mary. It's steeped in the tradition of the Old Testament Psalms. It's kind of a psalm. Uh, and uh, because you know, Mary didn't think in terms of the Old Testament, it was just her scriptures, it's just her faith. And she wrote this song, she sang this song from her faith, and it's similar to Hannah's in 1 Samuel chapter 2, a little bit. And, and so she starts off, and in verse 46, 47, 48, we have that. She's really talking about her own personal experience. And in verse 46 and 47, uh, those two verses are parallel. It's a poetic device. You know, if you have your Bible, you can look at it. But verse 46 says, Mary says, you know, my soul exalts the Lord. 
Verse 47 says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, the soul and spirit, she's talking about the same thing, her inner self. There is a technical difference. And I know if you go online and you study this passage, you hear certain preachers, they'll go into great lengths to talk about the technical difference between soul and spirit. And I would just tell you, that eh, doesn't apply here. I mean, this is, this is just who she is. This is her soul. This is, it's, it's the inner person. It's the real self. And she talks about my Lord. The Lord is personal to her. Uh, I mean, God, when he appeared to Moses, and Moses says, who will I tell the people? Uh, what name shall I say? Send me. He says, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord. is the personal God. And so she says, my soul exalts my Lord. He's God, my Savior. She's talking about God, and she makes that personal. He's my Savior. So here is Mary in her inner being talking about the personal nature of God who saves her. And here's what she does. She says, my soul exalts. It magnifies. That's where we get the term magnificat. Magnifies, lifts up God. It's praise. She says, when I think of God right now, I'm just praising him. I'm going to have this child, and I'm praising God. And her soul, she, I mean, spirit, she says, rejoices. The, the, the exalting, the, the praising is kind of the formal response. To rejoice in is the inner experience. It's the outer and the inner. I praise God. I rejoice in what God is doing. She thinks about who God is, his very nature and character, and she praises him, and she rejoices. And then she thinks about who she is, and she says he has remembered the humility of his bondservant. I am just a servant. It's the lowest form. I'm a slave. And he has remembered me, and I'll be blessed through all the generations. People from now on will look at me and think, I'm blessed. She didn't say, I'll be worshipped, I'll be exalted. She just recognizes what's happening in her life is unbelievable. Here's, here she is, I'm humble, I'm a bond slave, and God, the exalted God, is doing this. And then in verse 51 through 55, I'm going to come back to 49 and 50 in a minute. 51 through 55 she just kind of in a prophetic role talks about what Jesus is going to do. That he's going to set all things right. The Messiah is coming to do all that God said he would do. And he talks about people. He, she mentions the, 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 the proud, the, the, the rulers and the rich versus the poor and humble. And, and some come to this passage and they see it as from the Christian perspective to deal with social justice and inadequacies and all that. And that's not what this passage is about. Back then, people fell in one of two categories. Most were poor. Some were rich. There was very little in the middle. There was some, but very little. It's the opposite of our culture. You walk out these doors, all you do when you see around you is, is you know, middle class. Now, from the world's perspective, honestly, we're pretty rich. I mean, you know, for the history of the world, we, we are pretty rich. But in our culture, you know, the rich and the poor on the extremes, there aren't that many. This is not about social, you know, inequality, anything like that. This is about two different types of people, and this is the important thing, and this is what we miss in our culture. This is what those guys and those gals who teach that completely miss. In that day and age, in the world of Judaism, the rich were proud because they thought they were blessed by God, that their money signified there was something special about them, and God blessed them, and they looked at the poor and said, God has not chosen to bless you because of some sin in your life. So they were arrogant. They were haughty, and she says... God's going to settle all that because she understood that wasn't true. And God's going to take the people who are the downcasts in our religion and our faith and you're found upon. And they in faith will be lifted up. And those who in their arrogance and their pride will be brought low. That's what her son's going to do. It's what he did. 
And then she says, and Israel will be receiving mercy. God will remember the mercy towards us. He'll remember the place we're supposed to be that through Abraham. She talks about Abraham and the descendants. They're going to be the people through all the world will be blessed through us. The Messiah comes through us. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming through Israel. She's recognizing what God has said he would do. She's saying, this is going to come about. Here is holy God who's going to set all things straight. That's so important. So important in our faith to always remember God always sets strength, always sets things straight. And so we come to verse 49 and 50. And in 49 and 50, really, it's kind of the heart so much of this passage. In verse 49, she says this. Having just come off talking about who God is and who she is, the, the holy one she praises versus her as the bond slave, sinful. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. He is the mighty one. The word mighty speaks of his power. It comes from a word that means power. He is the powerful one, the mighty one. And he is holy. The holy name of God. The name of God signifies the character of God. When you talk about in, in, in Scripture, someone's name, it represents the very character. Uh, that doesn't apply to us. My name, David, means beloved. And so I can tell you that doesn't work in our culture very much. You know, I know what my mom was thinking. Um, but anyway, she, she had good intentions. But back then, it signifies your character. And so his name is holy. The, the holiness of God is the central character of who God is. In, in January, I'm preaching a series entitled, uh, The One Who Makes Sense of It All. See, December is the year that seems lost. In January, the new year is going to be the one who makes sense of it all. There's a connection there. And I'm going to preach about the character of God in the very first, very first message is about the holiness of God. He is holy. Taken from Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, glory, glory. See, God is holy. And the concept of holiness means to be cut, to be separate. And when we say God is cut or separate, it's not just to be separated from something, but to be separated towards himself. Before, before there was ever a creation, before anything existed, God was holy. He was already separate, complete, perfect in and of himself. When man came into the world and man brought sin, God was still holy. It didn't affect the holiness of God. The sinfulness of man cannot come into the presence of holy God because God is holy. And that which is sinful can't be there because of that separation. That's why Jesus came, to, to make that separation go away so that we can come to God. She says, she says, he's the mighty one, and he's done great things for me. Holy is his name. She recognized that he has done great things for her. But having this baby is going to be a phenomenal thing for Mary. Now, we think of that, but we forget also it's a burden for Mary. Because when Mary had this child, she was a virgin. She's conceived as a virgin. Now, and I hate to say this, but the truth is this. Back then, virginity means a whole lot more than it does today. And just this is the way it is. In 21st century America, even from the time that I was in high school, the importance of purity and virginity has slipped away from our culture as a whole. It's just not important anymore. It was vastly important then. Back then, and I said this last week, and you have to understand the culture, the value, the real, not value, but the real sense of worth that a woman had was in bearing children. That was so important. And the gift that she would give to her husband was the purity to guarantee that that child was his. And so that was hugely important. And, and Mary was engaged to, to Joseph. And back then, engagement was a permanent legal arrangement. It's not like today. You can break engagements off today. You know, man, there's no legal qualifications or problems. You know, some of you may have broken off an engagement. Some of you may be thinking about it. I don't know. Some of you dads out there kind of wish your daughter had broken off the engagement from that guy. You know, you think that thing. And there's no, there's no legal problems. So back then, it was, it was you had to get divorced. And... Um, 
It was huge. And she had no idea how Joseph was going to react. She didn't know. Now, God, we know in Matthew, went and told Joseph. Because you think Joseph was going to believe that? That his fiance married, I mean, she got pregnant. What was he going to think? If she came and said, well, you know, it wasn't, it, nothing happened. There was no one else. It was God. He's not buying that. We don't buy that today. That ain't, that ain't going to fly. It wasn't going to fly back then. I mean, no one was going to buy that. Elizabeth would believe it. Yeah, Joseph would believe it. Maybe Mary's mama and daddy could be convinced by Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah. No one else. She was going to carry this burden. She was going to carry the humiliation. She was going to carry this scandal. And she said to God, the Almighty One has done great things for me. And she said, His mercy. His mercy. is to all the generations. Every generation following his mercy is there. Where is his mercy found? In Jesus, the word mercy means to be experienced compassion or pity. Um, one of my seminary professors, Dr. Uri, used to say, mercy is love in action. In dealing with our sinfulness, it is the grace of God that removes the condition of guilt. We are guilty before God because of our sin. His grace removes the condition of guilt. It is his mercy that removes the experience of guilt. It is the mercy of God that allows us to feel free and forgiven. It's the mercy of God. So this morning, um, I was in here about 6.45. I, was, I, just sat, I just sat here a moment. I do this, not every Sunday, but a lot of Sundays. And I just pray, God, don't let my sinful condition, don't let my sin interfere with worship today. Don't, don't let them suffer because of my sin. God, show mercy. That's what we pray. He said that mercy of God is for all the generations, but it's to those who fear him. And that, that seems odd about the word fear. It, really, the word fear comes from our, our, our word phobia. It's what it is. And, and, and to us, fear is to be terrified. And to a degree, there is a sense. When, when, when an unholy person, a sinful person, comes to the presence of God, there is that terror. That's why in the Christmas story, you, you, you see when the angel appears, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Zechariah, don't be afraid. In the Old Testament, don't be afraid. But to the person of faith, fear quickly turned to praise. So in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament saints came into the presence of God, that fear quickly became worship and adoration. In, in the Christmas story, that fear quickly became worship and glory and honor to the believer. Fear really is the idea of awe or wonder. And so it's not just the idea of terror. And this is really the concept of fear. We are a sinful person. We are traveling our path of sin. And we come and we meet the holy God. And when we meet the holy God, there is that fear of that which is sinful in the presence of that which can have no sin. That which is sinful in the presence of one who cannot have sin there. To the person who rejects God, they continue to live in sin. And they continue to live in rebellion. And they continue to live in a fear and animosity towards God. But to the one who believes, that fear becomes the awe and the wonder and the praise of God. To fear God is a wonderful thing for a believer because it is ultimately to praise him. And that comes in Jesus now. And Jesus, Mary's saying Jesus. Jesus is the one now who is the Savior. And, and, and the encountering of God will be in Christ. And that fear, that fear is not going to be a terror of Jesus. It's going to be in a recognition of his holiness and to worship him in Acts chapter, I mean, in Luke chapter 5, when they lower the guy down who was paralyzed and Jesus heals him and forgives him, they're all afraid and begin to glorify God. In Luke 7, when he raises the, the, the man who's dead, the, the, the widow of Nain, when she raises, he raises her son, they're all afraid and they begin to praise and glorify him. You see, in the as aspect of faith, in the aspect of God, that fear moves us to pray. See, encountering Jesus then will result in praising God. That's really what that means. 
Encountering Jesus will result in praising God. For the believer, it is at the moment of faith and every moment thereafter we encounter Jesus, we praise God. This is the song of Mary. This is the song of a woman who saw the holiness of God and herself as a bond slave, who realized what God has done in her life. And she says, he is holy. He has blessed me. We will praise him from all generations through Jesus. So with that in mind, I'm going to talk about the fact that the birth of Jesus gives us a reason for a new song. It really does. The birth of Christmas. It gives us a reason for a song to sing forth his praise. You know, we like to teach, and it's true, that every time a person comes to Christ, they have a new life in Jesus. The last uh, Sunday of this month, we'll have baptism. And, and I'm assuming we'll have at least one baptism in this service. I don't know how they're going to fall. But we'll, we'll talk about they'll be baptized and they have a new life in Christ. We even have T-shirts that says a new life because they have a new life in Christ. And with that new life comes a new song. But how... How dangerous is it that we forget that all of us as followers of Christ have that song? If you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have it. You need it. But we have that song. And right now, it's so easy to forget to praise God, isn't it? We live at a time, it seems lately, that people are forgetting how important it is that even in the midst of all that happens, we still praise the Father. We have this idea that somehow, because our life has changed, because we're experiencing different things, that somehow God has changed. God never changes, ever. We're experiencing, and this is a frustrating thing for me, we're experiencing new limits upon our life. I mean, that pandemic has brought limits. Politicians bring limits. Policies bring limits. And, we, and we're limited. We forget we've always limited. Sin limits us. We're limited by sin. We're limited by death. Until Jesus comes, we're all going to face death. Death brings a limit. And we forget that God is never limited. We forget that. None of this impacts God. Pandemics don't impact God. Pandemics have been going on since creation. You know, politicians sure don't impact God. Their policies don't impact God. God doesn't care about any of that. He's not changed or limited by that. Understand, he's never limited. In fact, this is an important thing. Our limitations never apply to God. Our limitations never apply to God unless, unless God decides to abide by our limitations for some reason or for some period of time. This guy says, you know, I have a reason in my holiness. I'll abide by that limitation for this reason. And for instance, Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus was that example. God became flesh. Do you realize that God became something he had never been before? Flesh. He became flesh. When he became flesh, he laid down some of his rights and privileges. Paul writes in Philippians 2 that when Jesus became flesh, he emptied himself. It doesn't mean he became limited. It means he laid aside privileges to take upon himself limitations. Technically, God was never limited. Jesus was never limited. He always had every power, every ability he always had for all eternity. But he chose at the incarnation to set them aside. He chose to do that because he wants to give us mercy. He did that because holy God can do that. This is the amazing thing. God became something he never was, flesh, because he is something you and I can never be, which is holy. And he did it all for our salvation. He did it so we could experience what, mercy, what Mary called mercy. Salvation, mercy, forgiveness, love. He did, that's what he did it for. And Christmas, this is the great thing about Christmas. Christmas reminds us that that is there for us. All of us can have that. All of us, because of Jesus, can experience mercy. Here's the thing. Mercy is available to all. But it is not enjoyed by all. 
only those with faith. Mercy is available to every one of you, but not every one of you experience mercy because some of you simply don't have faith. You don't trust Christ to be your Savior. You have loved ones who don't trust Christ. You have friends who don't trust Christ. Mercy's there. They just don't experience, so they live their life in fear of God. And by that, I simply mean they live their life in rebellion against God. And because you're in rebellion against God, you never enjoy the joy. You never enjoy the peace. You never enjoy the hope. You never enjoy that. And this time of year, this experience we're going through becomes just really difficult for a lot of people. And a lot of people simply live in fear. People now are living in fear. They're living in fear of a pandemic. They're living in fear of what might happen if they don't do all the things you're supposed to do. And listen, I understand some of that. I mean, listen, some people need to stay home right now. I get that. Totally 100% get that. I'm not talking about being careful. And we have a lot of people need to be careful. They need to stay home. And we want them to stay home. So if, if, you, if you come in contact with someone who's had this virus, we want you to stay home a couple of weeks. We don't want to see you. Nothing personal. Just don't show up for a while. I mean, we understand that, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about there are people who just live in fear. Their lives become racked with fear. So here's the thing. This, this is important. This is, Christmas should remind us of this. Our, we only should fear God. Only should fear God. And that fear is directed towards faith. So here's the thing. We must fear God more than we fear anyone or anything else. We must fear God more than we fear anyone or anything else. And when that happens, you will not fear anyone or anything else. Listen to me. When you fear God, and by that I mean the praise and the awe and the worship, you will fear no one, no thing. You just won't. I, I tell you right now, I live without fear, completely, totally without fear. Why? Because I have this unbelievable fear of God that Christ has given me. I want to, because I worship and praise God, why am I afraid? Of, the greatest limit of life is always death, and God has removed that limit. As a believer, the limited, I mean, I'm going to physically, I'll die, but I'll live forever with Jesus. That death has been removed. So why would I fear anything else? I mean, we just fear the Lord. I mean, it lives in praise and worship. And so the Christmas reminds us that that happens in Jesus. And that's what Mary is saying. The encounter of God is with Jesus. And the holy God is revealed in Jesus. The cool thing about Christmas is when we come in contact with Jesus, we're, we're experiencing God has revealed to us his holiness. How do I know the holiness of God? It's in Jesus. And so this is what happens at Christmas, or should happen, especially to a believer, with Jesus. The encounter of God's holiness, which is in Jesus, leads to fear, which leads to awe, which leads to faith, which leads to praise. That's where you need to be in your life. There. That's what you need in Christ. That's that fear, if I can use that term, you should have that holy wonder and awe that causes you in faith to break out in praise. And that's why we have so many opportunities to praise at Christmas. So we're going to praise him and worship and, you know, Sunday morning, we're praising him tonight, we're praising him on Christmas Eve. That's why, listen, that's why we haven't canceled any of that. Why would I cancel that? Why would I cancel times to praise the one who has saved me? That's what Christmas is about, that praise of Christ. And it all goes back to Mary, who Mary looked in her condition. And you know how we talk about having Jesus live in our life? Okay. Only one person really ever had Jesus live in their life. That's Mary, okay? 
And Mary said, here's, here's, here's me, sinful. And here's God, holy. And here's Jesus. And she just praised God. Here's the cool thing. We see ourselves for who we are. We see God for who he is. And we praise him for Jesus, our Savior. At Christmas, as a believer, I see myself for who I am, a sinful person. And I see God for who he is, the Holy One. And then here is Jesus, God in the flesh. And I see him. And he's my Savior. And I praise God. Somehow, that needs to be our song. Somehow, that needs to be the song all of us sing. It's the praise of Jesus, the Holy One of God for who he is, that condescended into this earth to take a wretched sinner such as myself and to show me mercy. Why would I fear anyone or anything else when I have faith in Christ, when I have absolute praise for Jesus? Why would anything else take me from that? So I wonder today, what song do you sing? What is your song? All the time in this place, we talk about the fact that we want to honor God in everything we do and bring people to Jesus. That guides and dictates all our decisions. Every decision we've made in the last nine months has been about honoring God and getting people to Jesus. And here's why. When we honor God, we praise him. When people come to Jesus, they end up praising him. And that's the song we want to sing, the praise to God. And some of you as followers of Jesus, you really haven't praised God, have you? Not like you should. You've let the things of this year get the best of you. Maybe you're even living in a little bit of fear. And so I want to invite you to make a commitment today to say, God, I'm, I'm really going to praise you. I, 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 Christmas, I'm praising you. I'm going to praise you for your holiness. I'm going to praise you for the incarnation of Christ. I'm going to praise you for my salvation. I'm going to praise you for the mercy that you gave me. Some of you can't sing that song. Because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And so I want to give you the opportunity. Right now, where you are, you can trust Jesus. Right? You, don't, you don't have to do anything else. There's nothing you have to do. You don't, you don't have to make any promises. You don't, you don't have to say, I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to give money. I'm going to start attending more often. You don't have to make any deals or bargains with God. You just say, God, you're holy and I'm not. And I can't go on this way. And I want to praise you. And I want you in Christ to save me and give your life to Jesus. And some of us will be up here and you can come and talk to one of us. Ladies, there'll be at least one gal up here and you can talk to her. And, and, and if to give your life to Christ or pray, pray for someone you love or just say, I want to praise Jesus. If you just want to come with one of us, I just want to praise God. We'll be here. If you want to join our church, we'd love to have you come join our church. I don't know what you need to do. I know this though. Join me in leaving here with the worst singer in our church with a song of praise for God. So Father, praise you for Jesus. Praise you for our salvation. You, a holy God, saving me, a wretched sinner. You did it because of your love. You did it because of your unbelievable mercy. And God, as I encounter the holy Christ, that fear I have is just awe and wonder. Why would you save me? except for your great holiness and your great love. So thank you and praise you. And those who cannot praise you for their salvation, I ask in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would save them this day. Give them the grace and the faith they need to trust you. And for all of us, Father, to praise you with a song, to praise you in glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You come.
and we'll be here.